Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The latest from batshit bonkers Britain. Katie Hopkins on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And a very warm welcome to the Katie Hopkins Show here on TNT Radio on Friday the 1st of December, the first day of meteorological winter. Try saying that after a late night. Coming up in the show today, my report from the world's most celebrated debating chamber at the University of Oxford, This House Should Go Vegan. I have a question regarding high street pharmacists. When did they become so evil? And we're looking at how Labour could still lose the next election. It's not my voice we want to hear. We may agree on that. I may be in the driving seat, but you are the engine for this show. Here is how you join the conversation. Katie Hopkins wants you to chat to her. Just go to TNTradio.live, hit chat, and join your family chatting away. We're on the highway to freedom, where listeners drive the show. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, we are, my darlings. We are back. And it is funny, funny Friday here at TNT Radio. It is good to be back. It is good to have you back here on Tribe. Do get chatting with the rest of your family, tntradio.live. You'll know if you know this show, it's not my voice I actually want to hear, it's yours. And I want you to be the ones that have these conversations that matter. So you find me right now in a little hotel room in the city of Oxford. And last night I was at the Oxford Union debating chamber, the oldest debating chamber uh, in the UK, maybe actually in the world, um, the oldest recognised one, their 200 year anniversary. And we were debating about vegans. More about that coming up. Um, But I want to take us through to our top three of the UK first. And the first thing is that it is the first day of meteorological winter. It is Barry Baltic here. It is almost as if the weather knew that it was the first day of meteorological winter because it's freezing. It is minus whatever. We had snow yesterday when the first two flakes fell. I was like, right, that's it. They'll shut the schools because it seems that way. We had a lot of rain the other day and they shut the schools because there was a lot of rain. (laughs) I know things aren't quite like they used to be. So first day of meteorological winter and indeed the first day of December, and we've just had a realisation, myself and lovely Mark, that we do not yet have the advent calendars from my mother. So mum and dad each year, um, they get these advent calendars and they stuff them with little sweets for the children, despite the fact that over. So mum and dad each year, um, they get these advent calendars and they stuff them with little sweets for the children, despite the fact that over the years, the children have got progressively older, clearly. (laughs) Such is the way of life. So now the kids are actually 19, 18 and 14. But grandma and grandpa like to keep up the tradition of making the advent calendars with these little sweets in. And yet we've just worked out we haven't seen those yet. So now I'm in the slightly awkward position of needing to ask my mother, where are the advent calendars, which sounds a bit grasping and needy. But it feels like it might be important. Um, second story out of the UK today, ceasefire over Israel. Um, the ceasefire is over in Israel. So you will have seen uh, the headlines coming out to say that that ceasefire 
ceasefire is over, uh, broken by Hamas uh, in a number of different ways. So the sirens, uh, about six o'clock this morning, the this time, UK time, uh, sirens ringing out over Israel, warning people to take cover uh, before airstrikes targeted airstrikes began again. Um, in the last hour, Israeli Prime Minister, so this is about 6am, so what are we now? Eight, uh, so about three hours ago, Israeli Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said Hamas did not agree to release further hostages which violated the terms of the truce, because this was always the thing, wasn't it? The truce could hold as long as Hamas were giving lists of the hostages and that those hostages were then safely delivered. And in return for that, there was a three to one transaction so that for every hostage, Israeli hostage released, there would be three Palestinian prisoners released. But the truce and the ceasefire was absolutely dependent on Hamas providing that list and being faithful to that list. And apparently that has failed to happen. And so now the truce is over, sirens ringing out and rockets incoming. In a statement on social media, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's office says Israel remains committed to achieving its objectives, to free hostages, to eliminate Hamas and to ensure that Gaza will never pose a threat to the residents of Israel. And in a second um, breach of any hope of a truce or ceasefire, um, at a bus stop that I know quite well, actually, uh, two Hamas terrorists went to that bus stop yesterday evening and opened fire there. Um, police responded to the Gavat Shal junction on the outskirts of Jerusalem at about 7.40 uh, a.m., pardon me, local time, after two Palestinians arrived in the area in an armed vehicle and began shooting in the direction of civilians at a bus station. The three killed have been identified as a 73-year-old rabbi, a 67-year-old lady, and a 24-year-old girl. The two shooters who were from East Jerusalem shot and killed by the IDF in the area. Um, Israeli media said the shooters were brothers and associated with Hamas. And this, I guess, is the problem I've been trying to articulate over the last few uh, weeks, possibly, is this idea that you cannot separate Hamas from Gaza. I believe it's why actually in Benjamin Netanyahu's press release, you're hearing him referred to Gaza, so that the people of Israel will never be threatened by Gaza again. And when you have Hamas terrorists randomly in Jerusalem firing out of a window of a car and killing three in the street, I guess my question to everybody who's yelling at me on Tribe or chat or wherever about how pro-IDF I am is how do you continue to support a side that has people that come along and randomly slaughter people at a bus stop? And it's the same when I have criticism about me because people say I'm anti-Muslim or I'm Islamophobic or whatever. People say not all Muslims are jihadists. Well, of course not. My question is, please, please, uh, you know, explain to me how you separate these items out. How do you separate these people out? Because how can it be that you can simply be trying to get a bus at a bus stop that I know well and you're slaughtered as you stand? And I've taken those buses and they are actually bulletproof buses uh, because you really are on the front line when you take those buses up. And I've taken a bus, a bulletproof bus up from Jerusalem up to Hebron 
um, to be with the Israelis that were up there on the front line, really the area that's in the eye of the storm now, uh, who lived there purposefully to hold the line in order to be on the front line for Israel. And um, it is, it is, I think, probably something we can agree on in a world that feels very divided on this matter, is perhaps we can agree that we would very much just like everyone to be okay. And perhaps we can agree that we would very much like everybody on both sides to be able to get on with their lives and not be maimed, injured, tortured, killed. You know, there is points of agreement. And I think what also I feel is that we reached a point quite recently, I think, really, really positive and optimistic point where I feel like people were really, really together. Like, and I still feel it now, aside from this whole Israel, Hamas, Palestine, hideousness. But I, I think we reached this amazing point where I felt like people were really together. We'd got through the COVID stuff. People had taken their sides on that, but were moving on. People were together and optimistic and, you know, increasingly positive. And I just wonder, you know, part of this coming along is just another divisive thing, isn't it? So the third story I wanted to move to is, sadly, sadly, we've lost Shane McGowan from the Pogues. I don't know if you know the guy or are a big fan of the Pogues or have listened to much of the Pogues or seen Shane McGowan in recent years. I think Shane McGowan has looked like he was dead for about the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. <laughs> and I mean that in the most uh, charming way that I can muster. You know, Shane McGowan, I think by his own reckoning, would say that he should have been killed off when he was young because of the amount of heroin and drugs that he was doing. And Shane McGowan was besties with um, Sinead O'Connor. And they could have been, I think, brother and sister. They were certainly, they certainly fell from the same tree. And there was even a time when um, uh, Sinead O'Connor reported Shane McGowan to the police because she was so scared of the amount of heroin and drugs that he was doing that she thought he would have killed himself. And it's very much the explanation of why Shane looks the way he looks. Um, so he died yesterday, age 65, following a long period of ill health. But if I can commend to you um, anyone's writing on this, it's Simon Hattonstone. And that's H-A-T-T-E-N-S-T-O-N-E. This is one time when The Guardian really comes into its own. So Simon Hatterstone is a Guardian journalist, and he went to interview Shane McGowan. And it's kind of uh, industry-wide well-known. No one wanted to interview Shane McGowan because he's so vile to everybody or any journalist that ever came near him. He hadn't done an interview with any media or newspaper, I think, for 10 years uh, because he loathed all of them in every single way, which is something a lot of people can identify with. But he agreed to sit with, I think was the way that he phrased it, this guy, Simon Hatterston. And he writes, um, when I interviewed him last year, the late Pogues legend was translucent, moody, willfully silent and immensely likable. I will forever cherish our strange meeting. I just love that. I love that phrase so much that he was translucent <laughs> and willfully silent. 
willfully silent is a brilliant uh, combination of wording. And I wonder in your life, do you know anybody who's willfully silent? <laughs> it's certainly not two words that have ever been used for me. <laughs> he writes that like O'Connor, he was a poet, he adored language. So as a schoolboy, Shane McGowan got a scholarship at a super, super prestigious uh, Westminster school at a public school because his writing as a child was so amazing that he was accepted into this prestigious school. And there was this kind of, a, around the 1980s, this five-year period where he was just flawless and killing it at everything, a pair of brown eyes, exile, fairy tale in New York, and his protest stuff. Um, so I'm sad that he's gone. We have a little clip. Um, I believe, predictably, it's fairy tale in New York. Um, but what I want to do is just take a listen to this from Shane McGowan, who we uh, lost yesterday, age 65. Take a listen to this. You promised me Broadway was waiting for me You were handsome You were pretty queen of New York City When, when the band finished playing They held up for more Sinatra was swinging All the drums they were singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the music to get to that's got to be it hasn't it <laughs> we can lose this clip now before i get into trouble we're playing too much music on the radio where we're not really allowed to play music but there is something glorious about that and you really need one of those old um you know when proper pints used to be served and proper what's the word for a proper pint glass don't know but when that you it's not a tankard I don't think, but were pint glasses with handles and they used to be made out of gloriously thick glass. That's the sort of, that's the sort of pint beer tanker mug thing that you need to have, don't you, to swing along to that kind of music. <laughs> I like the fact that it's so raw and gritty. And I think the fact that he half killed himself many times helped with the fact that this is also likable. So sadly, sadly, we've lost Shane McGowan. Now, when I come back after a short commercial break, there are some things I want to talk about. I want to update you on what went on, what went down, as the kids say, last night at Oxford University and in the debating chamber there where I was uh, speaking, the debate was this house should go vegan. And if you were with us yesterday on the show, you'll know I was talking about Warwick University, which has just voted in inverted commas to go completely vegan. And by 2027, no more meat or dairy to be sold on campus. Uh, you'll know yesterday when we spoke about Warwick University, it was, I think, 500 students that made the decision for 26,000 students. So 500 people deciding what 26,000 people would eat. So last night, the debate in the chamber was this house would go vegan. And obviously, I was speaking against that. I want to talk about that. I also want, please, on chat. So do go to tntradio.live. I want your experiences with I, I guess this can extend, can't it, to anywhere that you interact with the National Health Service. 
But my experience yesterday, particularly with pharmacists, so high street pharmacists, so people that you go to potentially to go and pick up your prescriptions or maybe you collect prescriptions for someone else. And my question to you uh, that I would really like answers to on Tribe, on chat, tntradio.live, is when did high street pharmacists become so evil? Like when did they become completely to the point where I feel like they want to persecute people coming in to get their prescriptions. When did they become so brutal? Maybe you are a pharmacist or maybe you know one and you have something to say in their defense. Um, maybe you're someone who collects 485 prescriptions a day uh, and you're an expert on this, but I would love to the answer to the question, when did high street pharmacists become so massively evil people? And also I'm very much hoping today in the show, we're gonna to get to a glorious article by Rod Little about how Labour could still lose the next election. All that coming up after this short commercial break. My name is Katie Hopkins and this is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. A moment of sanity in a sea of madness. Katie Hopkins on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, my darlings, we are back. And thank you to everybody uh, for joining in and coming back to Tribe. It is great to see you all there, TNT.radio live. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, our token vegan saying, I may have missed Katie, but I missed the commercials more. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of forgot about that whole thing that we have people <laughs> here on Tribe who literally just joined because they very much like the commercials, not so much me being on the radio. <laughs> and also someone asking, how did America treat me? You know what? America treated me very kindly. Thank you. Uh, so a month uh, over in the States working mostly with uh, January 6th. 
so trying to help um, the organisations that are supporting um, January 6th prisoners, uh, January 6th inmates, um, but also very particularly and importantly for me, the families of Jan Sixes. Um, and that includes families of Jan Sixes who didn't make it. So um, meeting and spending time with and trying to find a way forward for American families who have lost members of their families because essentially they have been persecuted by the American state. And I think one of the things about, um, and my personal experience on this as well, is that when the state decides, and we've talked previously about who they are, and I'm very explicit about it, it was the chief rabbi, it was Brendan Cox, it was Save the Children, it was the head of the Labour Party, it was the board of deputies, it was the Muslim Council, Rachel Riley. There's a there's a there's a group of of ten people who control what happens to you when you're going to be eviscerated. But I can say from personal experience, and it's mirrored um, by some of what January 6th has went through, although they went through a lot more, is when it's decided that you are going to be eviscerated from the face of the planet, the amount of pressure they apply and continue to apply, they will keep applying in the hope that you kill yourself. And of course, that is what happened with so many of the Jan Sixers, is they never even made it to a date where they would have to be in court and have to plead guilty to violent insurrection or seditious conspiracy and plead things that they know were not true. But if they didn't plead them, they would get 25 years inside. And rather than lie to their country or to themselves or lie about friends or colleagues or other American patriots, they chose instead to hang themselves in their garage and um, or garage, as they would say, not that that matters. And so that's really where I was for a month. Um, was trying to help lift up these families to bring major donors uh, to some of these events in order that there is a kind of support base for these people to fall on, uh, given that the bottom has fallen out of their world. So that's where I was. But America treated me kindly. It was very great to be back, actually, in America. And I do still say, um, and I will always say, that Americans are built differently than the rest of us. Uh, you'll know how much I love my country and that will never change, no matter how much it disappoints me. But Americans have freedom somehow hardwired into their souls, I think, because of their constitution. And, you know, I love that document deeply. But because they grew up knowing that the government was only ever allowed to interfere with you um, in order to protect your right to life, uh, in order to protect um, your freedoms, you know, your freedoms and your right to life. And it's only allowed to interfere with you um, to protect your pursuit of happiness. So the three purposes for government in America, your right to life, your right to freedoms and your right to happiness. That's the only thing the government is supposed to interfere with you for. And if anyone else tries to interfere with you in any way, because you have your Second Amendment, you have every right to shoot them in the face. And actually, that's one of the rather charming things that I love about America the most. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for asking that. Now, I wanted to ask you and talk to you and I want your comments. So I'm just holding up here. Uh, pharmacies. Uh, Katie, I switched to an independent uh, pharmacy and it's much better. Didn't uh, they used to be called chemists and now pharmacy? Yes, that's right, isn't it? It used to be Boots the Chemist. But how funny. I think of it in terms of just being a pharmacist. My question is, 
Um, when did the people behind the counter become so mean? And which came first? Was it people coming to collect more medication than I've ever seen in my life? Like literally, so I was in um, the chemist, the pharmacist yesterday, and these people collecting stuff. I was, I was so, I'm looking for, I have nothing around me. Well, I tell you what I do have around me. Let me just reach to show you. So desperate times, desperate situations. This here, I'm holding it up in case anybody is watching. Uh, this hairdryer is how I've been warming this bedroom and myself because it's Barry Baltic. This building is old. It's Oxford. Uh, this hotel has seen better days. So I've been warming my cockles, let's put it that way, with this hairdryer. I was looking around for a bag uh, as a prop in order. The people picking up medications and literally they've got bags of the ballet stuff. So and the, so it's usually someone sweet picking something up from an LD person. So then they open this bag and they're like counting the things in there. Like, oh, so there's this, there's those tablets, there's this, there's this, there's this. And I just got to thinking like, what's, you know, how have we become this dependent on this many meds in order to continue and it is a very kind of dependent relationship isn't it it's that if i don't get those meds and i don't reorder them and if i don't reorder them in time i won't get to pick them up in time and people going in to try and collect meds that aren't there yet and feeling anxious about the meds that aren't there like like an addiction almost to a program of medications that put the pharmacist in a very controlling position because people are hooked and dependent on these meds. And I understand the principle that some medications are required, Katie. But I also feel like many of these meds, having spoken to my sister, who's a pharmacist, are duplicative and cancel each other out. But there's no pharmacist around to sort that out. But also, how did we get to a point where you're living and you need bagfuls of these meds to sustain yourself? That question. Second question to Tribe is... What came first? Was it people requiring bagfuls of meds? Or was it that, and, and that turned the pharmacists into absolute cowbags? Or were they cowbags all along and they've just got progressively more and more like cowbags because of the overwhelming demand? Or was it that, and this is my theory, um, so many elderly people I know get their prescriptions because they're free, but never use them. Oh, my life, a total waste of money paid for by you and me through our taxes. I remember all the pills my dad, I'm reading this, if you're wondering why I'm reading these kind of comments, these are coming from Tribe, so people listening to the show, and they're coming from tntradio.live. So I am unsure of the mechanics of chat right now, but I do know if you go to tntradio.live and hit chat, you can be part of this conversation. It's because um, people are scared of doctors or just don't know how they can heal themselves in other ways. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? And there's a lot of truth in um, if you're sick, you want to get fixed. You want to get fixed quickly. And the way that we've been taught historically to get fixed is go to a doctor, get prescribed something, and that thing will make you better. 
And one of the good question, bad things about three years of being perpetually lied to by the whole medical industry is perhaps more people are questioning whether that is right. I remember all the pills my dad was told to take. He stopped in the end. I wonder if that would also be the case um, in without uh, the um, cruelty element of taking away free prescriptions um, and not trying to infer that people can afford to pay for these things. But if they weren't free, would people demand them? If they weren't free, would people invest the energy in picking them up? Is this is this exactly the point that because they're free, people are getting them because they're getting them, they think they need them because they need them, they still want them. And perhaps also I think there's a massive element having stood in the pharmacist's chemist for about, I don't know how long I was stood there, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, waiting to pick up something. Um is a, I think a massive thing is actually it gives many people purpose. Uh, I think the purpose for many elderly people and possibly their relationship with a young person as well is picking up their scripts. And in a world where people are increasingly not given an outlet to have conversations or are lonely or don't have purpose in their life or reasons, going to the chemists and picking up your script is a reason to function isn't it and I was listening probably shouldn't have been probably not supposed to listen to what other people are doing at the chemist are you but anyway to a gentleman explaining great detail to the point that the lady next to me was tutting tutting wildly about his meds and you could see that I guess he just wanted someone to talk to so then I don't really understand why pharmacists have to be such moo bags. Um, if you are a pharmacist and you're lovely, do write in on the chat. Or if you have another view that all pharmacists aren't cow bags, then do let me know. I bailed out of the health system when the doctors missed my concussion because they thought I was drunk. <laughs> that sounds, it's not funny, but it does sound like the sort of thing that would happen to me. <laughs> it was my sister oh my God, who had done a first aid course, who realised why I couldn't remember how I'd broken my leg. Oh, oh, the pain, the pain. I have done, oh, so other individuals on chat here talking about um, fasting and how that can help you. I've done two 16-day water fasts in the past and it cured a few things. Wow. Ah, 16 days on water alone. If, just water. Two, 16, 16 days on water alone. Is that possible? Oh, I do not have the discipline for that. Look at me moaning. Oh, well, I haven't done my proper moan yet. I haven't talked to you about we must get on to the Oxford Union. I must move on because I have a picture of my dinner to show you. <laughs> and I am moaning like hell. So I'm just uh, holding this up if you're wondering what the noise is. That is my breakfast so far. In order to sustain myself through this hour, I've so far had a miserable finger of Twix. <laughs> I was fearful I might not make it through the hour, truly, because of what happened to me last night. I know. So you've got people on here talking about 16 days fasting. I haven't made 24 hours. I've already broken into a Twix at 5am. <laughs> Doctors are not trained to heal. They are trained to prescribe. 
their training is often funded by pharma, oh, by the pharma industry. Best heal yourself by living, eating, and exercising well and meaningfully. Oh, that's such a great that's such a great term around exercise. Such as the disposition of an all healthy constitution. Mm, exercise meaningfully. That is that is an excellent uh, partnering of words. I've been stuck on pills. If you're hearing me read all different things, these are all different people's viewpoints on the chat, which is precisely my point about the show and directionally where I've always been trying to take it is that you own the conversation and I am just here to help articulate bits. And also I very stridently put across my points because frankly, that's what I think. So there we are. And now I'm reading what you think. This is the way conversations in life was supposed to work. No, I've been stuck on pills because they won't progress me for proper treatment. Exactly. And that's part of this idea of this glorious National Health Service. And you're never allowed to criticise it. And I don't criticise nurses. I criticise the institution. But the thing about a free public service, free at the point of use, is the only way that works mechanically from an economics perspective is rationing. And because we have a rationed healthcare service, it means you can't progress, as this individual is saying, you can't progress to get treatment so you're stuck on this kind of short cycle of meds that you get to a point you like, I don't know if these are even working. And personally speaking, my epilepsy meds, if we've got any other epileptics out there, rock on. So I was on the highest dosage of a combination of epilepsy meds that truly, I mean, what? And then, of course, if you take this epilepsy med, you have to take these tablets because this epilepsy med makes you suicidal. So you have to take these tablets to stop you being suicidal. And because you've taken these tablets to stop you being suicidal, you then have to take these tablets to, you know what I mean? And so I totally get that. I totally understand that. Um, also, lovely Lisa is explaining her. Oh, I have to keep up with the chat. I carry on piling on in. Make it my problem to keep up with you. I know it sounds confusing. It means drinking water only, <gasps> not eating. Wow. 16 days of only. I'm blown away. I'm blown away by in admiration, actually. I'm not, I'm not advising anyone stops eating. So don't, you know, do that on my I'm clearly not a doctor. But 16 days of not eating anything. I would not function after. Well, you, I've already showed you my Twix issue. Um, oh, yes, people asking about over-drinking. You do get that thing, don't you, where people drown because they drank too much fluids, which always makes me laugh, actually, <laughs> because you know that I'm not such a big fan of people that carry around these bloody great big tanks of water. My daughter does this, two litres, and she drinks four of those a day. And I asked her exactly this same question. Does that not make you, you know, do you not get to the point where you're going to drown? Some people drown, don't they? They kill themselves by drinking too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So someone else asking, uh, don't people overdrink? Big Pharma don't make any money from well people. So true. Katie wears room service. Darlings, oh, look at you going and chat. Well done, everybody. This is what I want to see. Well done. Um, room service here. Darlings, I think I'd be lucky to... I don't think there's room service here, darlings, where I am. This is actually sort of a recognised hotel, but I think they're a little bit on their last legs, to be honest. Soon as we're done with our conversation here, I'm going to leg it down 
And I'm basically going to do that thing that I suggest doing in vegan restaurants. I'm just going to order any meat I can get my hand on and eat it solidly until the point that I have to get on a train. <laughs> I'm going to do it again next year. We'll let you know how it goes. You go through detox symptoms, which most would think was them dying, but it's not. We do, of course, have breatharians who never eat. Oh, dear God, breatharians who never eat. What? But wouldn't it be fun? We must do this together. So when you're doing it next time, um, we should document this together. And maybe we could make it like an experiment. So as Lisa does her water detox, we sort of live through it together. And maybe portions of the show we can hand over to Lisa to update on how her water detox. Do not not lose horrendous amounts of weight. I feel like if I didn't eat at the rate that I eat, I would just disappear off the face of the planet. No, no. Right, darling, what we have to do, we have to take a short commercial break. Uh, when we come, it does mean that, you know, because we're chatting on chat, which is much more important than sticking to things that I plan for us to chat about, always. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the things that I plan for us to chat about are just ideas. Far more exciting that you guys get chatting on Tribe about things that matter to you. And all of my stuff, frankly, can go out of the window. I do want to try and talk about um, what went on at the Oxford Union last night and the reason that I'm so malnourished today because the vegans force fed me vegan food, for God's sake. And I would very much like briefly to be able to get to a brilliant article by Rod Little about how Labour could still lose the next election. Frankly, I'm beyond caring about politicians or politics, but still we can marvel at great writing when we find it. So go nowhere, darlings. Oh, yes, I get shaky after three days without wine. <laughs> That's so true. Fasting improves your mental function greatly. Does it, though? I mean, does it? Because I fasted now since, well, when did I get served the aubergine? We'll come to this in a moment after the break. But I was served that, what, at eight o'clock last night? So I haven't eaten since probably 12 midday yesterday. And I am in a very poor state of, I'm in a state of disrepair. So all of this 16 days stuff. <laughs> also, you can't, what, you can't drink wine. Wait a minute, on this water fasting thing, you can't drink wine. What? What? Are you, are you trying to tell me that on a water fast, you can actually only drink water? <laughs> OK, we're going to go to a short commercial break. When we come back briefly, I will update you in a pithy manner about what went down at the Oxford Union last night. And then I do want to get to Rod Liddell and his glorious article about how Labour are still managing to cock up even at a time when they can't possibly cock up. So let's go to a very short commercial break. My name is Katie Hopkins and this is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It's for the greater good. Have you noticed how often you've heard that expression? Mostly every time someone's advocating taking your rights away, the greater good. It connotes the old phrase, the common good, right? We're doing this for the common good. And we're gonna, yes, we're taking some of your income, but we're doing it for the common good. Well, that's shifted now to the greater good. Greater for whom? Never seems to be greater for me or for you always seems to be greater for them. And who gets to decide for whom it's greater? Why, 
Well, they do, of course. Be silly to allow you and me to be able to determine what's in the greater good and for whom. This is the insidious underbelly of the totalitarian governmental impulse. And it's not just here in the United States, it's in Ireland, it's in the EU, it's in Australia and New Zealand. China, they don't even have to bother about it. They do what they're told. That's the entire essence of a totalitarian regime. But what's scary is how many democratic regimes want to emulate the totalitarian regimes. For the greater good, I'll take a hard pass. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. Stay with Katie Hopkins when you have something to say. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I don't know if you can hear that noise. Next time it happens, I am going to put my stomach um, to, so I have, a. if you're watching uh, InVision, I have a microphone just here. So if that, so my stomach at this point is going, because it's so hungry. So if that happens again, I'm. If you're wondering why I'm suddenly standing up, exposing my genitals to the camera, it's. Be, I do have trousers on, <laughs> just before studio. Get the, get the block button out. <laughs> Next time my stomach rumbles, I'm going to place it to the to the uh, mic, just so you can all hear what the actual reality is of trying to eat vegan. Uh, and I've got a photo of that dinner for you in just a moment. So what I want to do is talk to you about uh, what went down at the Oxford Uni Union last night at their debating chamber, the oldest debating chamber in the world. They have Tom Hanks today speaking there. So I was Tom Hanks's warm up act. I'm totally using that from now on. We were debating should, um, no, this house would go vegan. I'm just going to put it out there. Their side one. Their side won. <laughs> and I will also put it out there that I think their side won before the debate even began. Because by the last debate of term, only the hardiest of students are there. It was minus three in that debating chamber. And honestly, kind of the students that want to like be students, the only way you're allowed to think right now as a student is that you are going to go vegan. And in order for the vegan bizarreness to work, of course, you have to totally subscribe to the climate bullshit. But because these kids do subscribe to the climate bullshit, not all of them, there's some very great students at the University of Oxford, I can promise you. But because so many of them have been indoctrinated into climate change nonsense, that was really the precursor to indoctrinating people into going plant-based. And you can see the way that this is going. Of course, we all know that the time that we have left to eat meat on this planet is going to be limited if the weird WEF globalists have their way. You'll know that I strongly believe that their aim for us is that we sit in the dark in small spaces, sucking on the arse end of a you know, laboratory produced locust. That's the plan for us. And these kids seem to be diving headlong into that. So the image that I want to put up, if studio would be so kind, is the image of my dinner. So how it works with the Oxford Union, because it's prestigious, is that before you go into the debating chamber, you have a dinner with the other speakers and the committee and whomever that you're there to entertain. 
So you have a dinner. The image that you're hopefully seeing now, and it's in fact, it's on my Twitter as well, is the image of the inverted commas dinner that I was served in the most prestigious debating chamber at the most prestigious university, arguably, that we have or had. And that is supposed to be dinner. And some merry fool that works in TNT, whom actually I love very deeply, is terribly reliable, has just said, oh, is it the picture that Katie sent of the steak? And frankly, I'm outraged in every way because one of the issues we have is the lies told by vegans to themselves. Vegans are willing to lie to themselves and they call things steak. So like, for example, last night I walked into the oldest and most prestigious uh, debating chamber that there is, holding aloft a cauliflower in the way that with Macbeth <laughs> might hold a skull. I was in quite a dramatic mood, I tell you. So I went in holding a cauliflower aloft to explain the very point that Studio has just reinforced, which is that vegans, I don't think our lovely guy in Studio is a vegan. He seems far too reasonable and hardworking to be sustained by a cashew nut alone. But my view is vegans lie because they're willing to call a cauliflower a steak. They'll say, oh, look, I'm making cauliflower steak tonight. It's not a bloody steak. And that festering turd of an aubergine isn't a steak. Give me my gun dogs and let me show you what you guys call a steak. I was Tilda Stella. Come here, you know, sit. Here's steak. And those dogs will look at me and they will give me the look that says you're having a giraffe. You know what I mean? So that was what I was served. That was supposed to sustain me, which is why now I'm in desperate need of food and sustenance because I haven't eaten um, the other thing is, here we are, cauliflower steaks in the local pub restaurant, 22 quid. Seriously, 22 quid. We grow a lot of aubergines in the UK. <laughs> 22 quid for a cauliflower steak. Cauliflowers historically, you know, okay, it's actually a floret. It's actually a flower that's been made to grow that way. Uh you know, it's be, it's it's one of the cheap ass things to produce. It's difficult to produce, but it's cheap ass once you produce it. Twenty two quid for a cauliflower steak. Are you having a laugh? So last night, I took great pleasure in lobbing my cauliflower across at the proposition <laughs> in the debating chamber. Quite proud of myself for that. The Bible says um, lying is one of the seven deadly sins, right? And um, the Bible also says, if you lie to someone, it's because you hate that person, right? So my theory is, because vegans are prepared to lie to themselves that cauliflowers can ever make a steak, it's because vegans are actually self-hating humans. And the reason they're prepared to barely sustain, sustain themselves by sucking on some dry quinoa is because vegans are self-hating individuals. We need our token vegan here to fight back. Benedict, the token vegan, we need him. You'll know that actually, I think plant-based people who just eat plant-based stuff, but don't try and impose their lifestyle on anyone else, I'm all about it. And that was kind of my overriding argument last night in the union was, damn it, you know, this place is supposed to be about freedom. 
and freedom of choice. I mean, it sounds like the debates we were having three years ago when people were forcing you to get vaccinated, but freedom of choice. You should be able to choose what you eat and I should not interfere with that. You want to eat blooming cabbage? You want to feast on a turnip, which typically was cattle fodder? You want to pay 22 quid for a cauliflower steak? Go you. I celebrate your right to be an asshole. But don't be taking away my right. Anyway, what, what can I say? But, you know, kudos to the prop because they won the debate. My side lost and I froze my bum off and didn't get fed. But, you know, I'm not here to whinge. Let us maybe move along. I want to draw your attention, if I may, to, uh, yeah, what, no, Porterhouse Blue or Oxford. I'm disappointed. True. Uh, oh, maybe vegans, important, just love animals, Katie. And you are right. If you don't try and convert everyone and just get on with it, it's all good. Totally, totally, totally. And it's lovely that people love animals. But I will say, coming from farming stock and the mother of a, of a farmer now, bless her, the herd bird, is you can love animals but those animals won't be there. They don't even get to live. My daughter's herd that live on beds of hay and straw, so big and bouncy, I would sleep there in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. They don't get to live if you don't eat them. Anyway, okay, leave that. Rod Little, may I draw your attention if I may, to Rod Little in the um, specky, I believe he wrote it, about how Labour could still lose. And he basically has written a, a glorious thing that says, look, we're at the point where the Tories are so thoroughly despised by everybody, so hated um, that Labour should, by all accounts, be winning, right? That they should be ahead, that they should be winning, they should have a landslide. But then he goes on to say, however, they could still stuff this up and not win for a number of reasons. The first reason he speaks about is Gaza. So because Keir Starmer currently is holding the line and seemingly a little pro-Israel, or at least not anti-Israel, or at least not totally pro-Hamas, which seems to be the opinion of everybody who's approved everywhere, is that you must feel sorry for the Palestinians and that, oh, poor old Palestinians and that Hamas are a bit terrible, but oh, poor Palestinians and aren't the IDF nasty, which is a view that I will not, cannot, and will never subscribe to. And I will never change my views, I doubt. But anyway, because Keir Starmer won't come out and bash Israel, he's in danger of losing the Muslim vote. And because the demographics of the UK are such that Muslims will be the demographic majority, the only way you can have political power in the UK going forwards is to be massively not just pro-Muslim, but also pro-Hamas. And because he's not doing that, he could lose. The other thing is his madness against glorious people like Rosie Duffield. I so, so love and admire this woman. I cannot stand politicians, but damn, do I love Rosie Duffield. Uh, let's take a listen. We have a little clip. Absolutely let's... agree, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah. Rosie Duffield. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I welcome the government's invoking of Section 35 in this case, as the bill clearly conflicts with the Equality Act and would have repercussions for women, for women across the UK. Does the Secretary of State recognise the strength of feeling amongst women, women's rights groups and activists in Scotland that this bill seeks to allow anyone 
at all to, to legally self-identify as either sex and therefore enter all spaces, including those necessarily segregated by sex, such as domestic violence settings, changing rooms and prisons. And given the previous UQ, does he not understand how vitally important this is at the moment? Well, Mr. Mr. De- Mr. Deputy Speaker, I think, I think the Honourable Lady deserves a lot of respect for her courage in standing up on this issue. And, and I think when, when the statement of reasons is read later today, she will be proved to be absolutely right in the things she's saying. Just, the woman is just so brave. I love her so much. Uh, she's now being investigated for anti-Semitism. I mean, they, they're just desperate to get rid of her because they want to bring in, Keir Starmer wants to bring in gender self-ID. Uh, Rosie Duffield stands in the way of gender self-ID, and yet she still has the courage and tenacity to stand up and speak truth when she's being heckled in that place by morons. And more importantly, she has death threats that she has no ability to function outside of her office because they are coming for her every goddamn day because she's upset one of their own, Eddie Izzard. And if you know Eddie Izzard, you'll know that he used to be a comedian and he now wants to pretend to be a female. And it's basically cosplay. It's costume. It's dressing up. He's dressing up as what he perceives to be a woman and he wants to be identified as a woman. And she's having no part of it. And as a result, the left is kind of eating itself. So Rod Little makes the point in his brilliant column that despite uh, Labour clearly being able to win hands down because everyone hates the Tories, they could still stuff up because Keir Starmer will not bash Israel or the IDF, not yet. And he will be being advised every day to come out with pro-Palestine views and he isn't doing it. And because of this endless persecution of people like the glorious Rosie Duffield and his manic obsessiveness with pushing the trans agenda, Labour could still stuff it up. Uh, where's his last? So there is a small chance that the stupidity, absolutism and obsessiveness of the left will do whatever it can to spoil Labour's chances of winning the next election. A small straw for those of you who are despairing, but one worth grasping. I, I just, uh, Rod Little, I've, I've worked with him at The Sun uh, Rod Little has bowled out in my defence in the past when I've been being eviscerated. Uh, and I just so admire him uh, for being so enduring in a media landscape that removes people so easily when they haven't got themselves properly sunk in. Uh, Rod Little has been one of those enduring individuals uh, with a genius ability to write and to write volumes of content that is all fresh and not repetitive in any way. My love for him goes on endlessly. You know what's happened, my darlings? Somehow we've reached the top of the show. And, you know, I was very much hoping to speak about, do you know how the other day we referenced the kingdom of Bhutan? Because way back when it banned smoking and then it had to get rid of that ban because by banning it, everyone started smoking. I have some massively fascinating things about the kingdom of Bhutan that are going to have to wait because we're into the end of the show. You guys are off for your weekend. Uh, So an important message for me as you head into your weekend is to remember to give yourselves a break. The world can be a lot. The media is a lot. But when you wander around the sidewalks of life and smear yourself up against it, it turns out 
that people are actually rather splendid. So do remember that. I'm off to go and eat more meat than you can shake a vegan at. Uh, but I will be back with you next week, same time, same place. And I will see you at Tribe. My name is Katie Hopkins. And this, my friends, is TNT Radio. Radio.